It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. The wet turns white tonight. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. Those of you who live on the higher hilltops, downwind of the Great Lakes, you could see an inch or two of snow. By this time tomorrow, the Chautauqua Ridge in western New York will pick up the bulk of the precipitation, three to four inches possible in places like Mayville and Dunkirk, Erie, PA, could see shovelable snow. We'll get you caught up on that forecast with Kevin coming up. Now to the war in the Middle East. Israeli troops are pushing deeper into Gaza in a war the Israeli government describes as a fight for its survival. Correspondent Richard Engel says those troops have killed one of the leading architects of the October 7th Hamas terror attack in Israel. Reporter Jonathan Hunt. This appears to be one of the most significant gets since the attacks of October 7th. Meantime, those tanks continue to roll into Gaza and what the Israeli forces appear to be doing is trying to surround Gaza City and if you like trap the Hamas fighters who are still there. As the war enters its fourth week the U.S. and the U.N. both pleading with Israel to do all it can to avoid civilian casualties. Christopher Cruz continues our coverage. This teenager in the West Bank believes the children of Gaza have been forgotten. It makes me sick that the world is turning its back on us and it's not doing anything to protect us. 8,300 Palestinians have died since October 7th, and more than 1.4 million Palestinians in Gaza have fled their homes. Meanwhile, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is rejecting calls for a ceasefire as he works to wipe out Hamas. Just as the United States would not agree to a ceasefire after the bombing of Pearl Harbor or after the terrorist attack of 9-11, Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. A female Israeli soldier who was taken hostage by Hamas was rescued recently in a covert military operation, but Hamas is still holding 240 other hostages and is reportedly blocking exit routes for desperate Palestinians trying to flee the war. A U.S. military base in Iraq was attacked overnight by multiple drones from Iranian-backed proxy groups, namely Hezbollah. Since the 7th of October, there have been no fewer than 25 attacks on U.S. military bases in Iraq and Syria. Congress reconvenes tomorrow and will consider a military assistance package for Israel. The new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, wants to divert money meant for the IRS to aid Israel. My intention and my desire in the first draft of this bill is to take some of the money that has been set aside for building and bulking up the IRS right now. They have about $67 billion in that fund, and we'll try to take the 14.5 necessary for this immediate and urgent need. The Biden administration's proposed a more than $100 billion aid package for both Israel and Ukraine. The White House has bundled that aid into one spending measure. Speaker Johnson wants the funding separated. Top Biden cabinet officials are testifying on Capitol Hill today in two high-stakes hearings 
hearings. The secretaries of defense, state, and homeland security, as well as the FBI director, are getting grilled on how safe the homeland really is, given recent events in the Middle East. They're also discussing the growing anti-Semitism on American college campuses. We're learning more today about the man who murdered 18 people last week at a bar and a bowling alley in Lewiston, Maine. Matt Piper reports some glaring red flags were missed. Three months before the deadly shooting rampage, leaders of the gunman's Army Reserve Unit said he was behaving erratically and the Army decided he should not have a weapon, handle ammunition, or participate in live fire activity. That, according to the Army. And the county sheriff's office says the killer's family reached out in May concerned for his well-being. Police eventually issued an alert trying to locate him with a warning that he was armed and dangerous. After a month, the alert was canceled. That was one week before the shooting. The gunman's body was found two days after the massacre, about 10 miles from the crime scenes he had killed himself. Democrats in Colorado are seeking to remove Donald Trump from appearing on the ballot in next year's presidential election. They argue his role in the January 6th Capitol attack disqualifies him. One lawmaker argued that Trump summoned and organized a mob and has violated the insurrection clause of the U.S. Constitution. Trump says the lawsuit is an attempt by Democrats to keep him from becoming president again. The Texas Rangers are halfway there, halfway to their first ever World Series title. They beat the Arizona Diamondbacks on the road last night off the bat of this guy, shortstop Corey Seager. Corey Seager smashes the ball. The Rangers would hold on for the 3-1 to victory. Teams that win Game 3 go on to win the World Series 69% of the time. Game 4 is tonight in Phoenix. Still to come on the Noon Report, anti-Semitism at Cornell, marijuana marketplace, and candy costs are through the roof. Good afternoon, I'm Kevin Williams, calling for sunny breaks and a couple of lake flakes. We'll have forecast details coming up. We'll see you in 10. All right, see you then. Thank you, Kevin. News where you live next. New York Governor Kathy Hochul was at Cornell University yesterday to show support to the school's Jewish population. No one should be afraid to walk from their dorm or their dining hall to a classroom. That is a basic right. Her visit to Ithaca comes after anti-Semitic incidents occurred at the Ivy League school. If you're going to engage in these harmful actions, hate crimes, you will be caught and you will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. William Jacobson is a law professor at Cornell. This is nothing like we've ever seen. Something has gone very wrong at Cornell and other college campuses that we have people actually cheering on Hamas butchery. Ori Baer is a Jewish student at Cornell and does and feel safe on campus any longer. We're just horrified. We don't know when it became that hatred of Jews, anti-Semitism, this is a nonpartisan issue. This should be something that is guaranteed. There have been several threats made against Jewish students at Cornell since the Hamas terror attack on October 7th. A professor at that school has been suspended for calling the attack exhilarating. Jewish students make up more than 20% of Cornell's overall student population. Governor Hochul says the state cannot continue to be an ATM machine for the ongoing migrant crisis. She's considering cutting back on future spending for that 
debt crisis. Yeah, Governor Hochul said the unsustainable situation could negatively impact the state budget. The division of the budget recommends limiting state spending to legal services, case management, and efforts to connect migrants and asylum seekers to jobs. The DOB reported the state will spend nearly $2 billion on the migrant crisis by next April and will need federal funds or a big change in immigration policy to continue shouldering what it called the state's most pressing burden. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. Business owners in Rochester, New York, have had it with the city's crime problem. This city can't continue going the route they're going. This is not good. This is uh, this is bad. And if we don't catch it now, we don't work together to solve the problems in the area, this city will go down. You know, this neighborhoods will go down. Albert Algarin is president of the North Clinton Avenue Business Association. He says due to rising crime, more businesses are closing shop and moving out. He says the family dollar where he lives gets robbed 10 times every day. So that is a huge amount of money every day that these corporations are losing. And here we go again. Al Garen tells Wham News that boarded up windows and metal barriers on the doors of empty storefronts are a common sight in his community these days. Last week, a clothing store on Hudson Avenue became a crime scene when a man got shot and killed inside the store. An inmate is charged with helping Michael Burham escape from the Warren County Jail back in July. The accused killer from Jamestown, New York, led police on a nine-day manhunt before he was eventually captured in the woods in Pennsylvania's northern tier. Warren County inmate George Flasher says he provided Burham with the bed sheets that were tied together to help him escape. Flasher also says he helped Burham calculate how long those bed sheets needed to be in order to repel down the four-story building. Pennsylvania election officials are predicting smooth sailing at the ballot box a week from today, Election Day, in the Commonwealth. A preview from Family Life's Terry Diener. On the ballot are critical appellate court races as well as ones for county level and municipal positions. Spotlight PA reports odd-year elections like this one tend to see lower turnout. That makes the odds of long polling place lines and overloaded sluggish ballot counts much lower. During the 2020 election, the Commonwealth implemented widespread mail voting for the first time while dealing with pandemic-induced postal delays and intense national attention. Since then, many of the kinks have been worked out. Terry Diener, Family Life News. Thank you, Terry. It's been two and a half years since recreational marijuana was legalized in New York, but the rollout of the marijuana marketplace has been anything but smooth sailing. State lawmakers held a hearing yesterday in Albany to discuss the rocky rollout of the cannabis marketplace. There are less than 30 licensed marijuana dispensaries in the Empire State right now. Illegal stores number in the thousands. New York is making available nearly $200 million to help in the fight against the opioid epidemic. Stephen Kilburn with the Chautauqua County Department of Mental Hygiene says some of that money will help get Narcan, an opioid overdose antidote, into the hands of those who need it. It doesn't treat addiction, but it does keep somebody alive. It would be appropriate for anybody to have Narcan on hand. It is uh, potentially the difference between life and death. The funds are from a national settlement with Big Pharma. The money will be used for drug prevention, treatment, and recovery programs. Public school teachers in Pennsylvania will soon be allowed to wear religious jewelry or clothing while on the job. The PA House gave final approval yesterday to the Senate-passed bill. Now all 
all that bill needs is Governor Shapiro's signature, which he will deliver soon. The law takes effect in 60 days. Winter is coming, and PennDOT's put out an urgent plea for snowplow operators. With winter closing in, the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation is in need of plow drivers for the upcoming season. PennDOT says it is down hundreds of full-time drivers across the state, including 64 in the Susquehanna Valley and 41 in Lancaster County. Drivers must have a commercial driver's license and be at least 21 years old. A PennDOT spokesman says they are competing with other trucking companies for employees. Applicants can find out more about the openings at employment.pa.gov. Brian Query, Family Life News. If you're handing out treats to those trick-or-treaters tonight, you already know that candy costs are through the roof. This guy says with inflation the way it is, what else is new? I kind of expect that uh, with all the prices for everything. So I'm actually going in right in the store now to purchase that. So I'll probably be sticker shocked as usual. The price of candy has more than doubled since last October 31st. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics explains why. That can be Due to a multitude of factors such as increase in sugar costs in order to make the candy, but also the holiday season tends to be a time where people give candy. Trick-or-treating, it's one of the biggest holidays for candy consumers, so that is also another potential factor. A recent Wallet Hub survey shows the most popular candy in New York this year is Sour Patch Kids. In Pennsylvania, it's Hershey's mini bars. Let's switch gears next. Talk sports on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, the Texas Rangers find themselves just two wins away from their first ever World Series title after defeating the Arizona Diamondbacks 3-1 in Game 3 of the World Series. Corey Seager had the big hit in the game, a two-run shot in the third inning, and the Snakes could only answer with one run. Game 4 tonight in Phoenix. The Detroit Lions won the Monday night football matchup against Las Vegas 26-14. Detroit now 6-2 on the season while the Raiders slipped to 3-5. The Philadelphia 76ers have had enough with James Harden. They shipped him, P.J. Tucker, and Philip Petrozev to the L.A. Clippers for four players and some draft picks. Action on the hardwood saw Cam Thomas pour in 33 points to lead the Nets over Charlotte, 133-121. to 121. Brooklyn led by 21 after the first period, and the Hornets never recovered. On the ice, the Rangers' winning streak has reached five after they beat the Jets 3-2 in overtime. Artemi Panarin, Chris Kreider, and Mika Zibanejad all lit the lamp for the Rangers. The Penguins had a 3-2 lead but fell to the Ducks as Anaheim scored twice in the third. The game winner coming on a shorthanded breakaway with 13 seconds remaining. Mason McTavish scored both third period goals for Anaheim, 4-3 the final. The Red Wings scored three times in the third and then won an overtime thriller against the Islanders, 4-3. The Flyers fell to the Canes, 3-2. Philly will host Buffalo tomorrow night. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy Man. Still to come on the Noon Report for Tuesday, a major player for Team Hamas taken out. Conversation with Riley Gaines, a woman on a mission to save women's sports. And at the end of the broadcast, saying goodbye to one of our own. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street.
Every autumn and a sort of seasonal ritual, the leaves start turning colors, the air turns chilly, and Christians argue over whether to celebrate Halloween. Well, I've never been a huge fan of the dark, sketchy costumes, and I'm talking about what adults wear these days. There's a whole history to this day that's unknown to most people. In fact, there's an even more amazing history behind tomorrow, All Saints Day. Back in 2007, Chuck Colson described that history in a breakpoint commentary that he called Honoring the Witnesses. Here's Chuck Colson. It's Halloween again, and to be frank, I really don't look forward to talking about it on Breakpoint every year. At best, Halloween has become an excuse to ask total strangers for candy. At worst, it's a celebration of the mindless paganism our ancestors wisely turned their backs on. So this year, I'd like to turn your attention to the often overlooked celebration that Halloween calls to mind. In case you've missed it before, the name Halloween is a shortening of All Hallows' Eve and signifies the night before All Saints' Day. For centuries on All Saints' Day, the church celebrated the lives of Christians who went before us. And rightly so. We can learn so much from those whom the author of Hebrews calls that great cloud of witnesses. The tradition of remembering the church triumphant dates back to the time of the first Christian martyrs. When soldiers of Marcus Aurelius Verus came to arrest Polycarp, a beloved church leader, Polycarp greeted them kindly. According to the third century historian Eusebius, Polycarp ordered a table to be laid for them immediately, invited them to eat as much as they liked, asking in return a single hour in which he could pray. When Polycarp later stood in the Colosseum, accused and surrounded by the jeering crowds, the governor pressed him to recant his faith. Instead, this man who himself had been discipled by the Apostle John said this, For 86 years I have been Christ's servant, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? As they were preparing to burn him alive, Polycarp offered up prayers of faith and praise. In the years following Polycarp's death, Christians would gather annually to take communion beside his grave. There they would remember his brave witness and take courage from his example. As the years passed, the day shifted in focusing from remembering Polycarp to honoring all martyrs. By the 7th century, the church created a holiday to honor all of God's saints, heroes of the faith. Let me encourage you to do something this All Saints Day. Reacquaint your children with Halloween's Christian origins. Sure, go ahead and let the kids dress up like Batman and hit up your neighbors for candy. But when the hoopla of modern Halloween is over, encourage your kids to imitate some real heroes. Not in what they put on, but in how they live their lives. For Breakpoint, this is Chuck Colson in Washington. That was Chuck Colson from October the 31st, 2007, describing the rich history behind All Saints Day. For more resources to live like a Christian in this cultural moment, go to colsoncenter.org. I'm John Stone Street. All right, John, thank you. Let's take it outside next. Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast for this afternoon. Clouds, intervals of sunshine, a couple of rain showers and snow flurries around with high temperatures, mostly 40s. And for tonight and tomorrow, mostly cloudy across northwest Pennsylvania, western and central New York. With any rain showers, transitioning to flurries and a touch of lake snow. Could be a couple, three inches accumulating over the high ground immediately east of Lake Erie, Lake Ontario. Across central eastern Pennsylvania, it's mostly just partly cloudy. Low tonight, mid-20s to low 30s, high temps tomorrow, mid-30s to the middle 40s. All right, thank you, Kevin. This is the Noon Report for Tuesday, the 31st of October. I'm Bob Price. Here's what's going on. Israeli troops continue penetrating deeper into Gaza as they seek to root out and destroy the terror group Hamas. The IDF, Israeli Defense Forces, engaging Hamas fighters in combat in underground tunnels now within the Palestinian territory. Fox News correspondent Jonathan Hunt. 
government. What the IDF appears to be trying to do is encircle Gaza City and squeeze the Hamas fighters back into the center of that city. Then they will take them on on the ground and in the tunnels. And we are hearing from the IDF that that is indeed what they've been doing, striking hundreds of targets both above and below ground. More than half of the two million residents of Gaza have been forced to flee their homes. This Palestinian doctor is calling for a ceasefire. This is indiscriminate bombardment of one of the most densely populated areas on earth. 2.3 million people, at least half of them, so over 1 million of them are children. Prime Minister Netanyahu rejecting calls for a ceasefire, arguing it would be like the U.S. declaring a truce with Al-Qaeda after 9-11. This is a time for war. Netanyahu says this war is about Israel's survival. His troops killed one of the leading architects of the October 7th Hamas terror attack in a raid in northern Gaza overnight, and Israeli soldiers were able to free one of their own, a female soldier. She was rescued from a watchtower in Gaza in a covert military operation. Hamas is still holding 240 other hostages and is reportedly blocking exit routes for desperate Palestinians trying to flee the war zone. Hearings on the Hill. There's a bevy of them today on Capitol Hill. Secretary of State Blinken and Defense Secretary Austin appealing for more money for Israel and Ukraine in a Senate hearing today. Also today, the Secretary of Homeland Security and the Director of the FBI talked about the threats to the homeland in testimony before Congress. Nearly a million illegal immigrants were processed and released by the U.S. Border Patrol the past 12 months. Texas Senator Ted Cruz says the revolving door at the place where the U.S. meets Mexico is frustrating to Border Patrol agents. The men and women of the Border Patrol are frustrated because they risk their lives apprehending people only to see them let go over and over and over again. He says the porous borders fueling sex trafficking and the drug epidemic and a lot of people released in this country are dangerous criminals. And with the war that is unfolding in Israel, the risk of terrorism in the United States, I believe today is greater than it has been at any point since 9-11. A bill in the Texas House permits police to arrest and deport migrants. Governor Abbott has promised to sign it if it passes the state Senate. A House vote to expel New York Congressman George Santos could happen this week. New York GOP House members say they may be near the two-thirds majority, which would be required to expel Santos following his arraignment on what's now a total of 23 fraud charges. Santos pleaded not guilty. He says he has no plans to resign. The move to expel Santos marks one of the first congressional steps new House Speaker Mike Johnson must manage, and it's unclear if he'll call for a vote or table it. Long Island Congressman Anthony D'Esposito introduced the resolution to expel Santos with backing from New York GOP representatives Nick LaLota, Michael Lawler, Mark Molinar, and Brandon Williams. Liz Warner reporting. Next at noon, a conversation with former University of Kentucky All-American swimmer Riley Gaines. She made international news when she refused to remain silent when forced to compete against a biological male while in college. Gaines is talking next to Family Life's Greg Gillespie about her fight to preserve and protect women's sports from the growing influence of the transgender movement. So what's the reaction to your message and your personal story. The message has been incredibly well received. It's crazy that that does kind of surprise me. My understanding, you know, coming from my university where we were told, if you speak out, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. You won't get into grad school. You won't get a job, blah, blah, blah. So I was terrified. 
when I took that leap of faith, but the support has been tenfold and really only increases daily. Parents, coaches, female athletes themselves, they're becoming more bold and more empowered and more willing to speak the truth. And there's been a lot of hearts and minds change. And that's exactly why I do it, because this issue is not as polarizing or divisive as you would think just by simply watching the news or just by seeing how politicians vote. I believe the overwhelming majority of the public agrees that the pendulum has swung too far. You're finding out that speaking engagements in California, for example, an interesting perspective that somebody who wants to speak out for women's sports gets censored more than people that are speaking out against Israel and not arguing against terrorists in the Middle East. Things are definitely backwards. No doubt. And let me reiterate what my message is, because it very quickly gets labeled as an anti-trans message. But that's just simply wrong and false, because the message is not anti-trans. The message is pro-woman. The message is pro-fairness. It's pro-reality, pro-truth. But they're stifling that, which I think the direction that a lot of these colleges are going, the way they're trying to control how young people think, how they feel, what they say, it's incredibly chilling, to be honest. But I think that's the direction that we're going. Again, I know that sounds pretty grim. In reality, I don't think it is as a Christian myself because we already know the outcome of the broader picture of what this what this battle is. But yeah, colleges, it's been an abomination, I think, especially coming from a college campus myself just graduating. The threats, they're real, the risk. That's no way for a society to thrive. I think civil discourse and considering new perspectives and having tough conversations That's how we grow. That's how we mature. That's how we learn. That's ultimately how we create solutions. We're talking with Riley Gaines, formerly with the University of Kentucky swimming team and now a very strong advocate, literally swimming upstream against some of the cultural trends that seem to be going on. What happens to women's sports in the next five or ten years if people born with innate testosterone get to compete against people that females, if you had that male hormone injected into, you'd get kicked out of the sports? Well, the answer is obvious. I think we all know what that would look like. I think we would see opportunistic men take advantage of the system that we have in place. And that's not to say that's why every single person who transitions is is transitioning to win titles or to get in women's locker rooms or women's prisons or whatever that might be. But how can we not acknowledge that that is happening? Because, again, let's be real. What male wouldn't want the opportunity to win a national title and wouldn't want the opportunity to go into a women's locker room? What is it? Do we have the entire women's Olympic team comprised of men. What's the magic number? I think the better question we should be asking ourselves is what's the magic number for people to start to care? And when I say people, I specifically mean Democrat representatives and senators and policymakers who are allowing this to happen. How many women have to lose out on opportunities or be exploited in locker rooms or be injured in their sport before they do care? But yeah, if we continue, I think it's pretty clear where we'll be in 10 years or so. I think every single person should play sports because I see what sports has given me. And it's the leadership and the confidence and the security to advocate for what I'm advocating for. And no one should be denied those things. Swimmers like you are used to going straight to one end of the pool and straight back, but your career plans have veered sideways. You have a new vocational calling that's a completely different angle. Can I ask you to talk with us a little bit about what this journey has been like for you? Absolutely. It's been having one set of plans for your life and your career to something totally different that by no means you feel prepared for. 
it's chaotic, I think is the best word for it. But I have grown in terms of my maturity, my wisdom, my, my strength, again, my confidence, leadership, all of those things. And I realized that, you know, God, he doesn't, he doesn't call the equip. He equips the called. That's kind of what motivates me to continue moving forward. You will be in Pennsylvania next week when the PA Family Institute has you speaking at their annual banquet. What's your message going to be in Pennsylvania, probably similar to what you're doing all through your speaking tour? Is it frustration, hope, uh, call to action? Are you foreseeing victory and celebrating that? What's the core of your message that you present to audiences like that? All of the above. You know, I think you can hear more about what it takes to be an elite athlete, the unfair competition aspect, the locker room aspect, the silencing aspect, the broader scope of what this issue means. So all those things you can expect to hear, and I'm greatly looking forward to it. And we are greatly looking forward to seeing Riley Gaines next week in Hershey, Pennsylvania, former University of Kentucky All-American swimmer and women's rights activist. You're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. A very good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. It's going to be looking and feeling more like mid and late November of the next couple days and nights. A very chilly air mass in play. And we're watching a disturbance in Wisconsin that could help initiate lake effect snow tonight into tomorrow in some very so-called quote-unquote favored locations in the area. Here are the forecast details. For this afternoon, clouds, intervals of sunshine, a couple of rain showers and snow flurries around with high temperatures, mostly 40s. And for tonight and tomorrow, Mostly cloudy across northwest Pennsylvania, western and central New York, with any rain showers transitioning to flurries and a touch of lake snow. Could be a couple, three inches accumulating over the high ground immediately east of Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. Across central and eastern Pennsylvania, it's mostly just partly cloudy. Low tonight, mid-20s to low 30s, high temps tomorrow, mid-30s to the middle 40s. All right, thank you, Kevin. And finally at noon today, saying goodbye to a colleague and friend. Terry Diener, Family Life News. Terry Diener. Family Life News. Terry Diener, Family Life News. Terry Diener, Family Life News. For nearly 20 years, you've heard his voice on our air, but after today, you won't anymore. That's because Terry Diener is retiring. But before he does, we wanted to get his thoughts on what he thinks was the biggest story he's covered for us since he started working for us in 2005. I had to think about that. I went back, Bob, and looked at the uh, stories that I've covered since I've been with family life and what it caused me to do is to lie awake all night and stare at the ceiling because there have been a lot of them but uh, you know i think bob it has to be covid Uh, back in uh march of 2020 uh governor wolf at the time reported pennsylvania's first two confirmed cases of uh, covid and as they say in the business the rest is history terry got his start in radio news in 1971 working for several media outlets in north central pennsylvania where he calls home in a recent interview with family life i asked terry what he wants people to remember him by oh that's tough to say what I want people to know about me. I have a passion for history, my community. I like to hear stories about the people who have come before me. I want people to know about the little guy, the the, the housewife, the, uh, hmm. the, the iron worker, the miner. I want people to know that I have a passion for uh, 
knowing more about their lives. And that passion shined bright every day that Terry showed up for work. What a joy to work with him. His work ethic, sense of humor, and humility is what I'm going to miss the most. Once again, and for the last time on Family Life, here is Terry Diener. You're going to make me cry now, Bob, but I was trying to figure out how I would sum this up. And uh, just wanted to say that despite all the stories that you've covered and that I've covered, got to go back to a guy by the name of Solomon in the Bible, Ecclesiastes 1.9, who said, what has been, what will be, there is nothing new under the sun. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Amen. And with that, we say goodbye to our dearest of friends and colleague, Terry Diener, one of a kind for sure. And that's our world, folks. Uh, The world we live in, Tuesday, the last day of October. Enjoy sleeping in tomorrow, Terry. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.